Thank you, and once again, good morning to students and teachers of the Word of God. We're coming on the air now with our seventh broadcast in the Theological Seminar of the Air, studying the doctrines of the Word of God, remembering, of course, that all Scripture is given the inspiration of God and is profitable, first of all, for doctrine, then for reproof, correction, instruction, righteousness. The man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, and all good works. You and I are living in the great age what we call the day of dogma, to quote uh, Van Savner, not dogma. You're dealing a day and age when the only people that speak with authority are the depraved, godless sinners and the unsaved degenerate scientists and the unregenerate members of the Health Education Welfare Department and the National Education Association. They're the only ones that speak with any authority, and of course they back up their authority with the legal implements and the guns and the bullets and the threats of mental con- confinement, mental institutions. Uh, the Christian no longer speaks with authority because he has no authority and has evaded the authority and refused to adjust the authority. Furthermore, he has misused the authority. You can tune across the radio today and find scores and scores of broadcasts in every state in the Union where Scripture is being quoted right and left, and it doesn't mount the hill of beans one way or another. And if you had your Bible open and could turn to the verses that they were quoted, you would quickly see that somebody is perverting the Word of God with every other breath. So we should study to show ourselves approving to God, and we should rightly divide the Word of Truth, and we should certainly know what the Bible teaches and says about the main things in life. Now, we're dealing here, of course, with what the Bible says about itself. The Bible is the revelation of God, and where the Scriptures speak, the church fathers and the church mothers can keep quiet. The Scriptures have a great deal to say about themselves, and they have a great deal to say about their subject matter. So in these broadcasts, we're giving you not merely what the Bible is presumed to teach, but what it says about itself. We have been studying uh, the attributes of God the Father, and I've been talking about God as a perfect being, We've been studying his communicable and incommunicable attributes as given the Word of God. Now, our next series of lessons, the next two lessons at least, will deal with the Trinity. The Trinity, of course, is not a Roman invention, as you often hear it falsely presented by the Campbellites, nor is the Trinity the the, uh, half-accomplished thing taught by the followers of uh, Judge Rutherford and Pastor Russell, nor is the Trinity the so-called Jesus-only picked up by many charismatic groups. These groups have trouble with the Word of God. None of them are sound in doctrine, nor can they study the Bible properly. Therefore, they get in all kinds of trouble. One group says, well, if you've seen Christ, you've seen the Father. Therefore, the Father's name is Jesus, which, of course, is nonsense. Jesus is the name of the human being, a man, and God is a spirit. On the other hand, when the followers of Pastor Russell and Judd Rutherford got into the same mess, They wouldn't think of calling the Father Jesus, so they went over backward the other way and went overboard and made as bad a mess and tried to pretend the Father was one God and the Son was another. This ancient heresy is called Arianism. It was settled in the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D., although the followers of the Watchtower Society have never yet corrected the mistake, nor are they conversant with the mistake, nor can they discuss it. Uh, Men who ignore the lessons of history are condemned to repeat the lessons of history. So we find the New American Standard Version in John 1.18 teaching the ancient Aaron heresy of two gods, an uncreated God, God the Father, and a created God, Jesus Christ. This heresy is called Russellism or Arianism and was supposedly settled at the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. Now in our lessons on the broadcast, we've learned so far that there is one God, and this God is creator of the world and the universe. This God is the God of Genesis 1-1 that spoke worlds into existence. And Deuteronomy 6-4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. 
then there is only one God. However, a careful study of the Scriptures will show that God exists in three persons. That is, a Godhead manifest in three persons. We read about the Godhead in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, and again in Romans chapter 1. Paul says the invisible things of him are clearly seen uh, from the foundation of the world, even his eternal power and Godhead. And in Colossians 2, 9, we read that in the Lord Jesus Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, bodily as a man. This brings up a problem. How can God be three persons and one God at the same time? Wouldn't this make three gods? And that, of course, would resemble a pagan philosophy and would contradict Deuteronomy 6, 4. Now, the idea of three created gods is an old pagan idea that one can find in all the pagan mystery religions. The mystery religions of Rome and Greece had three-headed gods, uh, the Shiva, Vishnu, and the third party of the Trinity make up the Trinitarian of Hindu gods. The Trinity itself as a doctrine is nothing new. The pagan religions have trinities, but of course their gods are a plurality of gods, which we call polytheism. Note there is only one God, but the doctrine of the Trinity presents God manifest in three persons. I'd explain this very briefly where the uninitiated can understand it. One person is one person. I'm only one person, I'm not two. And yet, by any scriptural standard, I am three. There is nobody talking to me right now that I'm talking to that isn't a body, soul, and spirit. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 says, I pray God your whole body, soul, spirit, be preserved blameless in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calls you, who also will do it. Every person is a body, soul, and spirit, yet they're one unit, and yet they're three. Notice we have invisible red heat rays that picture the Father, yellow light rays that are seen picturing the Son, blue chemical rays that can be seen by their effects picturing the Spirit, or even a more accurate picture is the Son itself. The Son itself puts out alpha bays, gamma rays, uh, alpha, beta, and gamma rays, and these rays are classified as light, heat, and actinic rays. Now, one, no one will, not, will deny that the sun is one unit. It is one star. It is certainly not three separate stars. The sun is one unit. And anyone who knows his scientific facts knows that it puts out light rays, which can be seen but not felt, heat rays that can be felt but not seen, and rays that can be neither seen nor felt, and these, of course, are actinic rays. The actinic rays, therefore, plainly picture God the Father. The rays that can be seen but not felt picture Jesus Christ the Son showing up in human form, and the rays that can be felt but not seen picture the Holy Spirit. Again, we have a beautiful illustration of the Trinity in water. Water is classified as H2O, and yet anybody can see in a minute that the term H2O is three units, one unit of oxygen and two units of hydrogen. Is this three separate things? No, it's water, it's one. And yet, water can appear in ice form, in liquid form, or in steam form. You know what ice is as a liquid? It's water. You know what liquid is as ice? It's water. You know what liquid is as steam? Water. Or as a famous one said one time, three and one, one and three, and the one in the middle died for me. Now, the unsaved man cannot understand these simple facts, nor can the people who teach Jesus oneness, oneness. 
these people are not able to grasp the simplest, basic, primitive, primary, grade school facts. The facts are water is water appearing in three forms, and sunlight is the sun appearing in three forms. That's a fact. It can be proved. And yet the uninitiated who spend a lot of time quoting Scripture they know nothing about and preaching the Bible without studying it and perverting the Word of God because they're not interested in what the doctrines have to say can never get this simple basic fact that a trinity is a common, ordinary phenomenon of nature. Every person is a body, soul, and spirit. I am one person, but I am revealed as the Son, physical and a physical body, as a spirit, there is it with me, the spirit, the spirit of man, and as a type of God the Father, a soul in me, that you cannot see and you cannot feel. Every person is a trinity. They were made in the image of God. And, of course, although when they fell, their spirit died, and they became dead in trespass and sin, they still have a spirit, albeit it's a dead spirit. And hence Christ says you must be born again. Now, Isaiah 55, 8-9 teaches us that human reason has no bearing in the study of God if a person is trying to figure out something that God has already showed them. The Lord has said, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your way is my way, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We cannot find the word Trinity in the Bible, nor can we find triune God in the Bible. But as far as that goes, the word sacrament is found in no Bible. The word Catholic is not a Bible word by the wildest stretch of the imagination, and there'll be a $100 reward for anybody who can find the word rapture or the word millennium in the Bible. We're not dealing here with the technicalities of whether or not a word is found. We're dealing with the fact that it's demonstrated in nature. And in Romans chapter 1, he said the invisible things, for example, the Godhead, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. So we can understand the Trinity by our study of sunlight and water. Now, the basis for the doctrine of the Trinity is very clear in the Bible. For example, at the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 to 17, we see the Trinity at work. God the Father spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. God the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, was being baptized, and God the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and delighted in the Savior. Here is a perfect picture of the three persons of the Trinity at work. And although all members of the Trinity are God, God is not split into three separate gods. When we say God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit, we're not referring to three separate gods. We're referring to the fact that Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and the Father is God. This is brought out very clearly in the New Testament, Matthew 28, 19, where we were told to go therefore and teach all nations and baptize them in the name, singular, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now, there's only one name that will match the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And, of course, this name is not Jesus. The one name that will match the Father, the Son, and Holy Ghost is the Lord. So baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost and baptizing in the name of the Lord are the same operation. Now, we realize, of course, that all heretics who are trying to be saved by baptismal regeneration prefer the Jewish baptism of Acts 2.38, baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. But this very characteristic of all unsaved preachers who are going to hell quoting Scripture, because these verses, of course, deal with Israel before the gospel of the revelation of the grace of God was given to Paul. And in Acts 2.38, there are no Christian present. The term Christian does not occur anywhere in your Bible until Acts chapter 11, verse 26. In Acts chapter 2, you're dealing with pork abstaining, 
temple-worshipping, Sabbath-observing, circumcised Jews, whose salvation had an element of faith and works mingled with it. And this while all unsaved preachers try to get you to Acts 2.38 to give you the plan of salvation, because there is no plan of salvation in Acts 2.38. Acts 2.38 is Simon Peter's Pentecostal message of the house of Israel. And this is more than apparent by the briefest study of verse 14 and verse 22, and verse 28 and verse 36. Baptism for a Gentile is said to be in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Jesus is the Lord, the Holy Spirit of the Lord, the Father is Lord. Jesus is God, the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God. But the name Jesus is never applied to the Father. Now, it's true that Christ said, He that has seen me have seen the Father. But not once does Jesus ever call the Father Jesus. That's a mistaken blasphemy that comes from not reading your Bible. Not once in the Bible is the Holy Spirit called Jesus. The Holy Spirit is called the Holy Ghost, the Comforter, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, or the Spirit of Truth. The Lord Jesus Christ is called the Messiah, Emmanuel, Christ, the Lord, the Lord's Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus, and the Son of Man. Not once is Jesus Christ ever referred to as the Father. That is all. The Father is referred to in the Bible as Jehovah and Jah and Lord, and Lord God, and God, but never Jesus. Therefore, we see the correct scriptural position is right between two heresies. The first of these is the oneness, onlyness, Jesus only Acts 238 heresy, which has no real salvation in it. And the second is the heresy of the Russellites, whom we call no hellers down south, that teaches three separate gods, when, of course, there are not. Notice the benediction in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Paul says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, comma, and the love of God, comma, and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Notice that back in Genesis chapter 1, we find uh, the Lord is speaking of himself in plural terms. What he says in Genesis 1, 26, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion. God plainly speaking of himself, not as a plurality of gods, but as a plural God. Now, that's what you have to get. You say, I can't understand it. You can understand it if you can look in a mirror. You're not looking at three people, but you're looking at body, soul, and spirit. Christ said, Fear not them that destroy the body, but fear him is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Now, why would you think they were the same when Christ said they were different? Paul said, though absent the body, I am present with you in spirit. Why would you think they're the same when they're not? The Bible says the Word of God in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, is able to divide asunder between soul and spirit. But if they're different, why would you think they were the same? They're the same because you yourself are a body, soul, and spirit. You are not three individuals, but you exist in three manifestations. God is not a plurality of God, but he exists in three manifestations. His body is the Lord Jesus Christ, his soul is God the Father, and his spirit is plainly the Holy Spirit. Now, as we said before, water is a beautiful in, uh, illustration of this great truth. Water is H2O, three components, and yet it is one unit. However, this one unit appears as a liquid, and when it is frozen, it appears as ice, and when it's heated, it appears as steam, and it never ceases to be water. And you can have water existing in all three separate forms. It's still the same stuff. 
It's still H2O. Another good illustration. A business firm, Smith & Company, made out of three brothers, say, Bill Smith, Henry Smith, and John Smith. All right, it is one firm with one name, but each brother is the head of a department. The three work together without friction as a single unit, as does the Lord, and all three have the same power. It must be emphasized that the Trinity remains a mystery, basically, and that no single illustration can possibly explain everything about the Trinity. For example, you can't explain Christ saying the Father is greater than I when they actually have the same essence. You can only explain that in view of the fact that when Christ says that, he is on the earth in human form and the Father is not. You can't fully explain the uh, collapse of the Trinity into a unity in eternity after Revelation 22, when the Son will deliver up the kingdom of the Father, and then he himself will submerge in God the Father, so that God may be all in all the way it was before Genesis 1-1. However, we can use certain illustrations to throw some light on the difficult and complex problem of the Trinity. The most important thing we need to know about the Trinity, of course, is that it exists. That it is not a Roman doctrine, it is a Bible doctrine. And it is not the doctrine of Pastor Russell and Judge Rutherford. We firmly believe, any Christian firmly believes, that there is one God eternally existing and manifesting himself to us in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, the Trinity can act as a unit. We're going to talk about this both in our lesson today and in our lesson next week. We're going to talk about the Trinity acting as unity, acting in a unity. Now, the Holy Spirit and the Son and the Father work as a unity in the following operations. The Trinity acts as a unity in creation, in the incarnation, in redemption, in salvation, in communion, in prayer, in glory, and in regeneration. And we'll take up that study in just a minute, and we'll show you how that the attributes which God the Father has, the same attributes are given to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the Holy Spirit by the Scripture. We'll have more of that later. Now, in today's broadcast, we'll notice very briefly the Trinity acting as a unity in four operations, or three operations, in creation, in incarnation, and in redemption. All right, first of all, in creation. Notice this, please. God the Father spoke in Genesis 1-3. In Genesis 1-3 it says, And God said, Let there be light. There's God the Father speaking. But notice in John 1-1, he's acting in unity with the Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. For in John 1-1 we read, In the beginning was the Word. We also know in Colossians chapter 1 that all things were made by him. Without him nothing was made that was made. So the Son was active in the world creation back there in Genesis 1. But notice, please, the Holy Spirit is not left out either. God the Holy Spirit moved upon the face of the waters in Genesis 1-2. And we read in Genesis 1-2, Darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said. Then we plainly have Bible references, no matter who thinks what, or no matter whose opinion may be taken above anybody else's, we plainly have three, three scriptural references that teach that in creation, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were all active. All right, in the next operation, in the Incarnation, that is, the coming of God the Father to manifest himself in the flesh as a man. God the Father is said to have given his only Son, John 3.16. God, there's the Father, so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, there's Jesus Christ. So the Son was born into the world. You know what the Lord said about that Son? He said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Plainly, the Son is active in the Incarnation, 
After all, the Son was born and called Jesus Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So the Son is born in the world, but that isn't all. When the Son was born in the world, the Holy Spirit was the medium of conception. Luke 1.35. In Luke 1.35, we're told the power of the Most High shall overshadow Mary, and the holy thing born of her shall be begotten of the Holy Ghost. Therefore we learn that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are not only active in creation, but active in the Incarnation. The coming of God to this earth as a man, the superhumanoid from outer space to bring peace on earth, the real peace from the real humanoid, from the right God. Therefore, all space programs, outer space, twilight, the zone, uh, Star Trek, and the thing from outer space, and the Jupiter and Venus kick, and all the pretty little television shows put up around plots about getting the folks from outer space to come and help you to bring peace on Earth, are what we call contradictions of the truth. That is, they're direct falsehood and direct blasphemy of the Holy Spirit aimed against the Word of God. In the Word of God, the visitor from outer space has been here and returned and told you what to do to get life and told you what to do to have peace. And 90% of the population of the world has never paid any attention to him and never will. Therefore, Christ said, I am come in my name, and you receive me not. If another come in his own name, him you will receive. And this one is spoken of in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. He's called the son of perdition the son of damnation, the man of sin, Apollyon, the destroyer, the Antichrist. So the next man from outer space, of course, will be the wrong man. And once you put that negative construction on the beings from other planets, you set yourself at odds or set yourself against or cattywampus to all modern scientific research, which is based on the hallucination that if we can contact life from other planets, it's bound to be a superior form of life that will come down here and help us solve our problems. That form of life has already been here and returned. And I might add, is coming again after the world accepts the Antichrist first as the head of the United Nations. All right, the Father, Son are also active in redemption, and so is the Holy Spirit. Notice that God the Father accepted the sacrifice of Calvary, Hebrews 9:14, And notice that God the Father uh, accepted the sacrifice as a perfect sacrifice in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 8 to 12. No one has to be told that the Son himself offered himself up as the sacrifice. In redemption, God the Son is the main person involved. He offered himself up as our substitute. The Bible says that just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. The Bible says God, that's the Father, had made him, that's Christ the Son, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. The Bible said he, that the Son, was wounded for our transgressions, he, that the Son, was bruised for our iniquities, the chastened of our teeth was laid upon him, that's the Son, and with his stripes, that's the Son, we are healed. And it goes right on and it says, but it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Our reference plenty to God the Father. God the Father is active in redemption, and God the Son is active in redemption. That isn't all. God the Holy Spirit is active in redemption. For we read in Hebrews chapter 9, 14, that when Jesus Christ offered up the perfect substitute, the perfect propitiatory uh, vicarious atonement for sinners, we'll talk about that more when we get into the subject of homardiology and soteriology, Jesus offered himself, quote, through the eternal Spirit, unquote. 
Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. Then we see the Trinity acts of unity in creation, in the incarnation, and in redemption. And next week at the same time, we'll talk about the work of the Trinity in salvation, in communion, in prayer, and in glory. And then we'll give you the scripture references to deal with the attributes of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost as they're found in both Testaments. Now, in next week's broadcast, be sure and have paper and pencil with you. We're going to cover a great deal of territory. And we're going to show you how the attributes subscribed to God the Father are subscribed to God the Son, and how the attributes of God the Father are also ascribed to the Holy Spirit, showing that God is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there is no order of importance down the line. The three are not one at the top and one on the middle level and one at the bottom. The three are on the same level, with the Father coming first, the Son coming second, and the Holy Spirit coming third, which is called in uh, systematic theology or dogmatic theology. Uh, the Son is related to the Father by regeneration. The Holy Spirit is related to the Son by procession. We'll talk about this more when we study about the Trinity of the attributes of God of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and what the Bible says about the attributes of each one of these three persons of the Godhead. Suffice it for now to understand that uh, Jesus Christ was the Father manifest in the flesh. Without ever being a substitute for the Father, he was God the Father manifest in the flesh as God the Son. You can't explain how God the Father could still have been up there and him down here, but it was so. The Holy Spirit could have descended upon him while he was being baptized, and yet he had the, not the Spirit by measure, for all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily in him, but we know it's so. The Trinity is a great mystery. It's a scriptural mystery. It can only be understood and comprehended by reading the Word of God itself and believing the Word of God as the Word of God stands. We trust that you'll spend some time studying this. Don't forget that God acted as a trinity in unity, in creation, in incarnation, and in redemption. Now, that's all the time we have in the broadcast for today. We trust you'll be with us next week at the same time. If you would ever like a copy of this broadcast, you can uh, get copies of this broadcast by writing to Box 7135, Pensacola, Florida. Each one of these broadcasts is made in duplicate and triplicate form, and if you'd like to obtain or purchase a copy of the broadcast from week to week so that you might have eventually the entire 52 hours of study on uh, Bible theology and scriptural theology, you may obtain a copy of the broadcast by writing Box 7135, Pensacola, Florida. I'm not sure about the price of these broadcasts that are handled by the Bible Baptist Bookstore in Pensacola, and they'll tell you how much it'll cost for uh, these tapes, 30-minute uh, broadcasts, each one, uh, coming throughout the year, one broadcast every week for 52 weeks on the great doctrine of the Word of God. As a matter of fact, the lessons will run into more than that. We'll have 52 lessons on God the Father and God the Son. And another 52 in our studies about the Holy Spirit and the Bible, angels and Satan, and lessons on Christian living. We hope you'll be with us from week to week. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and good day.